Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. With speeches by the presidents of both the U.S. and Iran and the U.N. General Assembly behind them, Washington and Tehran are deploying their diplomats to prepare for the next and perhaps most fruitful round of their indirect talks in Vienna. Rousing rhetoric aside, Ibrahim Raisi and his foreign minister sounded as if their supreme leader directed them to resume the negotiations, though not necessarily to make meaningful concessions in them. For his part, Joe Biden kept a conciliatory tone while insisting on Iran's full compliance with commitments undertaken six years ago. In Israel, two distinct views are heard, the most militant by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and a moderate one by the defense and foreign ministers, Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid. To analyze Iran's nuclear aspirations with focus on Israel's efforts to thwart them, we're joined from central Israel by... Brigadier General and Reserve Yossi Kupelwasser, who is the Project Director on Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Colonel and Reserve Ruven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader um, update, if you will, from multiple angles with regard to not only Iran's nuclear aspirations, but specifically on what it may impact once uh, such an understanding may be reached and to what degree it may also cause uh, the tensions in our region here surrounding Israel, and in Israel in particular, to boil over? Well, you know, Jonathan, Israel, as well as the United States, but uh, for a different reason, has a problem regarding um, a potential strike at the um, uh, Iranian nuclear infrastructure. And uh, the difference between uh, Jerusalem and Washington is that Israel is not a member of the non-proliferation uh, treaty regime, while the United States is not only uh, the main initiator and uh, first signatory of the treaty, it has um, added commitment, an added commitment because it is a nuclear weapon state. And under the NPT, uh, the uh, nuclear uh, powers have undertaken not to attack those countries who have only peaceful research reactors. And of course, nominally, officially, this is what uh, Iran has. And uh, the United States uh, would be uh, in legal uh, uh, dire straits if it struck uh, a quote-unquote peaceful nuclear country, which is one reason the Iranians say that there is a fatwa against uh, um, going uh, nuclear in a military way. And um, uh, even leaving the uh, legalese aside, Israel's problem is it can strike uh, neither too early nor too late. If it strikes too early, the Iranians would be depicted as innocent victims. And they will, of course, reconstitute their uh, facilities uh, within a year or two. If it struck 
too late, it will be too late. They will have uh, nuclear weapons. So the mix of uh, diplomacy, deterrence, defense is still here with us. And of course, with President Biden in office rather than President Trump uh, and his uh, entourage, uh, most prominently Secretary Pompeo, um, it is more, most uh, difficult to traverse uh, this terrain uh, without uh, uh, hitting uh, some uh, problems with Biden, because Biden obviously wants to uh, change the uh, order of priorities in American foreign policy. He doesn't want an Iranian problem. He is willing to pay a price, perhaps an exorbitant price, and Israel does not have a lot of leverage to stop it. General Kupilvas, I'd like to hear your uh, position on this. Also in light of uh, the report earlier this week on Sunday by the International Atomic Energy Agency in which it openly declared Iran to be in non-compliance with the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, specifically beyond that, uh, based on an agreement that was reached uh, a day prior to the Board of Governors meeting last week in which uh, there was an arrangement uh, sought for the IAEA to come into nuclear installations and uh, work on the, the various uh, monitoring uh, equipment installed in those uh, installations for the purpose of uh, continuing or at least continuity of, of monitoring, uh, it seems like the Iranians are uh, defying uh, international arrangements. They're not uh, really keen on uh, unveiling whether they're en route to a nuclear bomb or not, but at the same time, they're, they're sending mixed signals. How, how is this perceived, uh, not only from an American perspective, but an Israeli perspective? Uh, does this trigger new intentions or potentially even uh, forward a certain response uh, on this matter? Well, it definitely puts a lot of pressure on the Israelis to... Uh turn their attention to the, the, to the real decisions that they have to, do, to take, uh, because Iran is gradually moving into a situation of being a threshold state, a state that can, within a very short period of time, in a, any location that is not necessarily known to anybody, uh, is going to be able to produce a nuclear warhead, a nuclear device, in the first place. And uh, since they have uh, the delivery systems, the missiles are there. Uh, they may become a, a full uh, nuclear state with the capability to launch um, a nuclear bomb. That's something that Israel has to be uh, very carefully looking at and uh, decide when is the time, as Amir said, when is the time that uh, is not too late and uh, one has to take action. And as Israel has said uh, repeatedly, it is not going to allow Iran to have the capability to produce a nuclear weapon. We all don't want Iran to have a nuclear weapon. This is also an American position. But we haven't heard the Americans uh, clear enough on stating that they are against Iran having the capability to produce a nuclear weapon. And that's the difference between Israel and, uh, and the Americans. And uh, it, it has clear impact on the, on the way we look at uh, the timetable. Now, Iran, what, what the Iranians are doing, they're, they're taking advantage of the American weakness. It's so transparent, it's so clear, and it's just becoming more and more evident. Uh, after the American withdrawal from Afghanistan and after the entire way the Americans are handling the, uh, the talks, the Iranians are saying to themselves, okay, we can put a lot of pressure on the Americans to go, to go back to the deal according to our conditions, according to our uh, demands. 
And what we want to see is first the Americans go back and uh, take all, take away all the sanctions that uh, they have put on, on us uh, during the years since uh, 2015. And that's the uh, first thing that has to happen. Then we shall go back to the deal. But what does it mean going back to the deal? It's too late to go back to the deal. There's no really going back to the deal because the Iranians are already uh, in a position where they know how to uh, enrich uranium to 60%. They've done it. They've already had something like uh, uh, 10 kilograms of uh, 80%, uh, 60% uh, enriched uranium. Uh, they know how to uh, use uh, then centrifuges like the IR8, IR6, IR4, IR24, uh, and so on, so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's, it's all within their uh, capability now. And uh, it's, uh, they even know how to produce uh, uranium metal. That's something that they practice now and they have managed to produce some. That is not fit for, uh, for a bomb because it's 20% enriched, but uh, it is, they know how to do that. So all the all the missing uh, elements that they needed in order to be able to short, shorten the time needed for them to move from having uh, the, the current situation under the agreement towards having a bomb have already been uh, uh, explored by the Iranians and they know how to do that. This is a situation that uh, is, is very dangerous. And, and that with this progress, they come to the Americans and say, OK, if you don't want us to even move farther away, then uh, please take... Uh, Lift, lift all the sanctions, and uh, then we shall go back to uh, the commitments we made uh, according to the agreement. This is ridiculous. Nevertheless, it seems that the Americans are sincerely and seriously ready to discuss it. This is something very strange, but it reflects the American weakness, and the Iranians are reading it very well, and this is where we stand. And, uh, mm -hmm. I think that uh, this is a very dangerous situation, and uh, the messages coming from the Americans are clear. What the Israel is doing is trying to convince the Americans to say, look, look, maybe the Iranians are not going to be to show willingness to uh, re uh, rejoin the, the agreement. If that is going to be the case, we should look at plan B. And even on that, uh, saying Israel has a position now is very strange. There's no such thing as an Israeli position now, because the position you hear from the Prime Minister Bennett is very different to the one you hear from Lapid, who says, oh, there's time, there's time, don't worry. And uh, the, the position you hear from uh, Gantz, from the uh, defense minister Gantz, who says, we don't mind if you go back to the agreement, that this terrible agreement that allows the Iranians to have the capability to produce uh, a big arsenal of nuclear weapons in 10 years while being the hegemon of the Middle East in the, in, during those years with, with all the money they're going to get. We don't mind. This is all right for us. It's, uh, only if the Iranians are not going to go, the, to go there, we, we think we should think of a plan B. These are three different positions and uh, at least two different positions, and uh, there's no I mean, Israeli position, and the Americans take advantage of that, and the Iranians take, take advantage of that, of course. So this is a very problematic situation for Israel. The one thing that we can do in the meanwhile, all the time, I think, and I hope we do, is to keep on with the low-level low activity that uh, sabotages the, uh, the Iranian infrastructure and make it more difficult for, for the Iranians to make progress, Indeed. Uh, there is a claim that we are keep, that we keep doing that. I hope this is the case. Well, I'd like to bring Colonel Ben Shalom into uh, the discussion, and, and uh, we heard IDF Chief of General Staff Aviv Kochavi speak about uh, preparations being undertaken in order to potentially uh, engage Iran and, and uh, thwart its uh, nuclear. <coughs> program or, or installations, uh, but 
it seems like a very complex task because of the widespread entrenchment of, of this program, rather being uh, it's not very centralized for that matter. Uh, what is truly uh, being done on a collective manner? Is Israel heading on this alone or, or is it now in coordination with the United States and other regional uh, like-minded uh, states in order to uh, prepare something for the future? Well, first, remember that I don't know, so whatever I say here is just my estimation. But as far as building the military capability, there's no doubt that Israel is serious. And I say this because some may think that Israel is bluffing when it says we can strike their military, their, their Iranian capabilities. In the past, when we talked about all options on the table, and we know that Israel was working very hard, I myself for years trained for this mission, okay? I was training to fly to Iran. No bombs, just flew helicopters, but as part of this mission. So there's no doubt that Israel was preparing a significant capability strike. And also listening to the rhetoric of our leadership now and the, what the Chief of General Staff is saying. For instance, he recently said, we will need to prepare a, uh, an ability to strike uh, throughout next year. Meaning that probably we still have a lot of work to do to reach this, this uh, ultimate uh, capability. But, but we know that Israel takes it seriously. Another thing we have to remember is that at least the Israeli psyche is usually uh, warplanes with uh, hero pilots flying and dropping bombs. And of course, the arena is much more complex than that. General Kochavi speaks about a multidimensional uh, war and certainly cyberspace, for instance, is an important dimension. And we've been very active in this uh, in this field. From what we hear day in and day out, things are happening in Iran. Uh, uh, capabilities are thwarted. Uh, significant people are uh, key uh, components of this program are taken out mysterious fires, explosions. That's what's incredible about cyberspace today, that cyberspace immediately connects into the real world, uh, like we saw with the Stuxnet, uh, also attributed to Israel, and many other uh, you know, cyber strikes that have been taking place since then. So this is taken very seriously. As far as your question about international engagement, I, again, I guess I have no doubt that there is strategic dialogues going on at various levels with key allies. I don't think that these military strike capabilities are things that are coordinated. I think this is something that maybe is discussed with the United States as far as some future capability of how will we uh, update each other or something like that. But I don't think that's even discussed as we speak. We have to remember that, as you said, this program is dispersed. It's underground. There is no way that we just press a button and take it out, that it's not going to happen. Now, this whole issue is very complex because Israel in general and the IDF too do not see the Iranian threat as only uh, as only the uh, nuclear deal, the, nu the nuclear issue. Uh, certainly nuclear capabilities are perceived as an existential threat to Israel, but I think the very idea that Israel opposed the nuclear deal at the time was saying, no, it's not only that. And by the way, it could be that the Iranians really ultimately in the long game do not want nuclear capabilities. Maybe, by the way, they believe us, and I recommend to the Iranian leadership to believe us, that they will never acquire nuclear capabilities. When we say that they will never have them, they will never have them. So I hope they believe us. And if they believe us and they know they're not going to have them, that means that what they're doing now is just playing the strategic game. And part of the strategic game is their regional aspirations. They're working by proxy. Their armament of Hezbollah, Hamas, and all of these proxies around us with precision munitions and building up this capability of one day attacking us, not through nuclear capabilities, but through the next big war that will be very challenging for Israel. So I think they're playing the long game. 
And when you see uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Iran, Zarif, smiling, I think he has a good reason to smile because they play the long game pretty well. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd, I'd like to uh, bring the latter part of, of what uh, was said also by General uh, Kupil Vassal, but also by Colonel Ben Shalom. Uh, the Iranians are people of faith. One of their uh, aspirations and, and drives is to export their revolutionary uh, ideologies to the region and to the world for that matter. But of course, the, the immediate region is their first stage. And as such, the, the nuclear aspirations that they have are supposed to accommodate those uh, revolutionary uh, exporting the revolution. And then, of course, uh, a nuclear weapon would provide an umbrella deterrent for their activities on the ground, but also their activities on the ground today without a nuclear weapon are supposed to provide a deterrent for potentially attacking that nuclear program in the first stage. So it's all interconnected uh, with one another. How do you see uh, the, the current uh, CBW, if you will, the, the campaign between the wars or Mabam, as we call it in, Israel, uh, in Hebrew, do you see this actually bearing fruit at this stage, considering the fact that over the past decade or so, there's been an increase of another 100,000 uh, uh, missiles directed at Israel? Precision-guided munitions is not anymore a strange word to the Lebanese arena, nor the, to the Syrian arena. How is Israel contending with this? So let me challenge uh, the notion of um, two umbrellas the um, Hezbollah umbrella, which you uh, just uh, described, and the nuclear umbrella, which the Iranians do not yet have. And as Reuven Ben Shalom said, uh, they will never have it. Uh, the Arab countries um, believed as early as uh, the um, 1970s that Israel has uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, Sadat, when he launched the Yom Kippur War, believed that this was the case. It did not prevent him from attacking Israel um, and uh, launching a limited military campaign for political reasons. So the fact that a nation uh, would have uh, nuclear weapons and could be challenged by another nuclear state uh, somewhat uh, detracts from this notion of, um, of a nuclear umbrella. Now, um, I've uh, listened and watched our two distinguished uh, panelists, um, one with an intelligence background and the other with operational and planning background. And this is a perfect match showing you uh, the uh, notion which they both used uh, from uh, uh, both uh, sides of the fence, capability. If you listen to General Kupewasser, Obviously, for the Iranians, it would take years, perhaps these years are already behind us, to convert intention to capabilities. It is not enough for them to say, um, to declare that they want to wipe Israel off the map. They have to do something about it. On the other hand, if they have the capability already, it can be overnight. Converting capabilities to intentions is um, nothing like converting intentions into capabilities, which is why it is so dangerous for him to have the capabilities, even if they, they play uh, innocent and say, we have no intention to do anything about it. Again, Sadat had the capability along the Suez Canal. He could have, and did, overnight, 
change his intention not to go to war to a positive one. Now, Colonel Ben Shalom, talking about the capability that Israel should and would have to hit the Iranian capability, again, talked about the uh, time span uh, it would take to uh, convert the Israeli intention to uh, have enough of a response into a potent force, again, aside from cyber and other, other parts of the Israeli arsenal. So we are in a very uh, delicate game regarding the uh, trajectory, the time um, uh, plans of uh, both uh, sides. Indeed. General Kopelvasa, uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, discuss also the, the Northern Front. Uh, Iran is obviously entrenching militarily in Syria. It's working very hard to sustain and maintain it is, uh, its uh, deterrent force, a.k.a. Hezbollah, in Lebanon. Uh, we just saw, of course, the shipments of oil entering Lebanon in order to ensure that this force uh, does not uh, diminish uh, necessarily in the near future. But uh, to what degree you, you spoke about this um, clandestine operations that are attributed to Israel uh, on a regular basis. Is this a must from an Israeli perspective, and to what degree does it bear fruit when we're talking about limiting Iranian deterrence for a potential uh, strike on Iran's nuclear facilities in the future? I think that uh, the, the thing that the Iranians are trying to achieve is to deter Israel from striking against, uh, against Iran nuclear facilities Early, early on, uh, they try to postpone it and to make uh, to reach a situation where, they, where, by the time Israel will decide to do something about it, it's going to be too late. That's uh, that's what the Iranians are trying to do, and the deterrence is built, amongst other things, on the ability to uh, make Israel understand that if it uh, dares to do it, it's going to pay a very heavy price because Hezbollah, well equipped in uh, in the north, can hit any target with precision. In Israel, and this is something Israel cannot afford, and that's why it should uh, reconsider the idea of uh, attacking the Iranian facility. And uh, maybe choose other means, like uh, what Ruven said, uh, cyber war, or whatever. Uh, that's uh, something that uh, the Iranians have been working on for, for a long time. And Israel, with its uh, com uh, campaign between the wars, managed to limit the achievements of the Iranians. It's not that we prevented them from having any, any achievement. They did manage to uh, uh, deliver some equipment to Hezbollah. They did manage to deliver some equipment to Syria. All kinds of things, uh, some progress were done, was done by the Iranians, but far from what they were planning. And the gap between their plans and the, and the reality is due to, the, to the, this campaign in between the wars that is uh, relatively successful. That's why the Iranians are not convinced that they can actually deter Israel. And that's why Israel can afford saying that uh, if necessary, we should take uh, whatever action is needed in order to prevent Iran from having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. Uh, and say it with a straight face. Not, uh, it's not bluffing, as uh, Ruben said. I think this is very, this is very important uh, from, from our point of view. Iran has not become the dominant force of the Middle East. That's uh, another goal of the Iranian effort uh, in, the, in these years, it is, uh, it is encountering uh, problems, uh, both in uh, Lebanon, but also in uh, Syria and, and other places. Of course, uh, the fact that uh, uh, there was a change in the American administration 
made things uh, more promising for the Iranians, but uh, but still not enough, and that they're still facing a lot of difficulties. And uh, Israel is the one that uh, promotes those difficulties most uh, more than anybody else. Everybody understands that. That's why Israel is able to uh, build its ties with the Gulf states and uh, maybe less so, but still uh, to some extent with Saudi Arabia. And uh, this is what uh, makes the front that stands in, in front of Iran stronger and more capable. And that's something else that the campaign between the wars uh, gained for Israel, because it proved for the Arab moderates that they can rely on Israel. Israel is the only one that dares to attack on an almost a weekly basis uh, Iranian positions. That who, who dare to do that? So this is a, some, somebody you can rely on. And uh, this is the, the, the one of the reasons why we may managed to move forward with the Abraham Accords and all mm. of that. So it's, uh, I think uh, there are uh, some really important achievements of this policy. Colonel Ben Shalom, about two minutes for you. I think, you know, it's an interesting thing because if I were a military officer right now, you know, my intentions would be to shape the narratives and, 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 and all that. But as an analyst now, I'm uh, I'm confused because on the one hand, I want to show how Israel is strong and we have the ability and we'll show them. On the other hand, Iran is accumulating strategic threats to Israel that could become existential. Looking even historically at this region, we know that threats like this can someday materialize. We could be in an existential threat. So Iran poses a serious, serious threat and their rhetoric explains what they're trying to do. As far as the Mabam, the campaign between the wars, I think it's extremely successful, extremely Maybe even we're not explaining how much. I think mostly in intelligence penetration, which is, I think, overwhelming, and taking out strategic capabilities, and that is not a, a minor thing. Each strategic capability that is taken out, it could be one ship with one shipment, with one device going to Lebanon, that that device itself is what is going to build precision munitions in the next year. Each capability that is taken out, we're not going to encounter in the next war. All of this is very complicated. But I think Israel is doing the right thing. The only thing I would say, stop calling it campaign between the wars because we are at war. It's one long extended war. We just all have to change the way we perceive it. We are at war with Iran. It's not even a shadow war anymore. It's an overt war fought on all fronts, which is why Kochavi was right in calling it multidimensional. As I said before, going to cyber, but also to maritime, it is overwhelming. There are places where we have capabilities and we have advantages. There are places that we have weaknesses. For instance, we can't defend every Israeli asset around the world, can we? And Iranians, as uh, those who operate proxies and terror capabilities, they can strike wherever they want. Last sentence. The most important variable is the relationship between the Israeli prime minister and the U.S. president. The Iranians have learned what happened between Reagan and Begin in 81, Olmert and Bush in 2007. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Kupelwasser, Colonel Ben Shalom, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.